The text for the sermon this day is taken from that epistle lesson, as well as these words from Psalm 1, which says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is the text. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So when you wake up on a typical morning, let's think about how that morning goes. You get up out of your bed. How's everything working so far? How have your joints? Do you feel any creaking in the, in the knee? Any soreness anywhere that is a little bit more dif difficult to get up out of bed? I know, like, for me, I got what's plantar's fasciitis, if you don't know what that is. Where it's, where you, it's inflammation of the plantar fasciae. And so every morning I get up, and it's, well, not many mornings, it's quite a walk to go over to the, go to the restroom, and I have to sit down for a little bit just so it's not sore anymore. By guessing for many of you, we get, when you wake up, you have similar issues. And then you get to, when you get to the bathroom, you might look into the mirror. Do you like everything you see? You see, do you look at it and say, this is exactly where I want my hair to be at? You look at it, there's no, you have, you have exactly the number of wrinkles you want, right? No, you look at it, the hair's not, maybe it's there, or even if there is hair, it's not quite the way you want it to be. Or the, and if you do like what it is, that's when you realize, oh, I forgot to put on my glasses. Because your vision may not be quite there. Or maybe you can't hear quite the way you would like. I know for me, this is actually going all the way back to when I was a child. I don't know if you know this, if you're ever on the right side of me, sometimes if you talk to me, I might not hear you. Because when I was at four years old, I had a really bad ear infection that took away most of my hearing. And so, some of you, again, hearing doesn't quite work the way you'd like it to be. Your body is falling apart. It's breaking down. This is a consequence of a sinful, fallen world. Your body is decaying. And that's what you heard last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it continues a little bit into chapter 5 today is the reality that your body is decaying. The evidence is everywhere. And it's for that reason that this passage is such a wonderful passage of comfort. Because it says that we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The tent that is being spoken of, and actually the, the word there is sometimes translated as tabernacle. The word is not, it's not talking about the earth. The tent is your body. Your body will one day be destroyed. Unless Jesus comes back first. Which that's a whole other discussion. And when that day comes... You have a promise that you will receive a tent 
not made with hands, you'll receive a heavenly dwelling place. Now I know throughout the histories, actually basically going back to the earliest days of the church, there has been a heresy that never ever wants to go away. This heresy is known as Gnosticism. It's an idea that we, our goal in life is to break away from the material world. The material world, is the physical is evil, and the goal is, is that when you die, you'll get escape from your mortal shell, and you'll be able to be a spiritual being. Which there's, it's one of those things where they're messing with the words a little bit. And so kind of this gets, if you ever want to see how accurate this is for our culture, whenever somebody dies in a movie, usually what happens is they're drifted off into the clouds, and they're on the clouds, and they're usually having a harp, they usually have some wings, a lot of Bugs Bunny cartoons might be going through your mind on this one, and they're walking on the clouds, and it's this endless choir sing, and that is pretty much how the afterlife is portrayed. That is not based on biblical ideas. That's more based off of a Greek philosopher known as Plato and Socrates. Socrates was the one who said that when I die, I'll break free. That was the goal. That is not a Christian idea. Where this really comes to play is at funerals. Or when someone dies, you'll have somebody say, that is not, that's not grandpa, grandpa is in heaven. Which is a half-truth. Yes, he is in heaven, but that is also grandpa. Because you see, this new shell, this heavenly dwelling that's going to come, is not a brand new body brought right out of the shop. Rather... Our God is going to take the body that you have and he's going to make it exactly the way it was meant to be. That's what the promise here is. So in other words, the way you get up in the morning and things are not working quite the way you like and the mirror, you don't like what you see in the mirror, you don't like that you have to take certain pills to treat something, there's going to be a day that those who have been called in Jesus' name well, that body will be perfected, will be fully restored, it will be the ultimate makeover. You will be exactly as you were meant to be, without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle, no tears, no hunger, no thirst. Will you be old? Will you be young? That's one of those mysteries. Nobody knows what you're going to look, exactly how you're going to look, but you're going to look the way you were supposed to look. And to give you an idea, I always think this is one of the coolest ways to think of it, is whenever you, you think of, especially of somebody who's had to use a walker, especially their last years of life, the resurrection, that heavenly dwelling that they will receive will be so thorough that if they want to, they can do backflips. Which probably, if you're like me, you've never been able to do backflips. So the day will become, your body will be that wonderfully made. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5 actually tells you why that is so. You go a little bit past the reading that we had today, and you get to that wonderful passage where it says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus never sinned even once. Not in thought, not in word, not in deed, not by the things he had done, not by the things he had left undone. He had never even considered sinning. And yet he became sin on the cross. He loved, that is how he shows his love. That while he knew no sin, he became sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. When you were brought to the waters of baptism, when you're brought to the baptism, the pat, and you hear those words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Your righteousness is taken away from you. Because your righteousness, the way Scripture describes it, is basically the equivalent of used toilet paper. To give you how idea how filthy it is. That is your righteousness. It is taken from you and is given to Jesus to wear. In exchange, you get his garment, his righteousness, which is the most beautiful of garments that you could ever imagine. More beautiful than any fashion designer could even begin to put together. Or to give it this way, imagine that you're driving a Fisher Price and you were given a Lamborghini in exchange. Kind of getting you to the idea. The great exchange. God, Jesus receives your righteousness and is crucified for it. You receive his righteousness. And because you receive his righteousness, you will rise on the last day. You will receive that heavenly dwelling. You will receive a new body, which is the body you have. But it'll be exactly as it was meant to be. But what do we do until that day? We are still on this earth. And believe it or not, you do not exist for your own sake. You exist to serve the kingdom of God. Several years ago, the LCMS at the Synodical Convention had issued a decree, so to speak, upon all the congregations that they should return to seeing themselves as a mission outpost. Because back in the early days of this country, that's what the church, the building of the church, this is where the services were, and then they would go out and they would do missions. They'd carry forth the word in the surrounding areas. That's the way it was. And that's why they have called the church to be again. Because the reality is, people don't just walk up to the church anymore. That, that happened at one time doesn't happen anymore. The church must go to where people are, not wait for the people to come to the church. And so, this, this text, Psalm chapter 1, 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now this is a pretty tough one to do in our day, especially if you are on Facebook or Twitter. Both of those are pretty much all it is, is scoffers. There's a lot of nastiness, a lot of bitterness. I was able to get rid of it a little bit of it by getting a, a little thing that weeded out all the political posts, and still some get through. But you watch on social media, that's what it is. Sinners, scoffers, not a lot of positive lines of thought. And if you spend enough time in it, you will find yourself getting more and more negative. And not, what, not only on the internet, just in daily life, our conversations thrive upon gossip. We like to talk about others. It gives us power. Because we think we have power over another because we can talk about them and people are paying attention to us. But in reality, you're actually tearing yourself down at the same time. Because people know, don't trust you. Verse 2, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now the word law is the Hebrew word there is Torah. It's one of those, it's like many words. There are many words that they can have multiple definitions. So I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say, you don't go, you don't go to church, you are the church. Which I'm like, that's a half-truth. You're using two different definitions. Church can mean the body of Christians. It could also refer to the building. It could refer to the worship service. So if, to give you a similar example, if I'm playing baseball and I ask you to go get a bat, I really hope you don't come back with a winged creature. Because it's not going to help. Or, similarly, if I need an exterminator to get rid of a bat, I hope you're not getting rid of my Louisville slugger. So words sound the same, but they can have different definitions. And so the word law can refer to things like the Ten Commandments. It can refer to just the first five books of the, New Te of the Old Testament. Or it just refers to the instruction or the discipline of God. And that is how the psalmist is using it. So you can read it as, but his delight is in the instruction of Yahweh. And on his instruction, he meditates day and night. And what is his instruction? The scriptures. The Bible. This is what the blessed man or woman meditates on day and night. The word of God by which he instructs. You know, in our generation, your generations, you have more access to the Bible than literally any other culture in the history of the world. And it is not even close. In the earliest days of the church, and by the way, I don't know if you realize it, it was about 300 before the New Testament was completed. 
The last book of the New Testament was written in about 90-something A.D. That would have been the book of Revelation. So you realize for about the first 60 years of the, New of the church, there was not, there were still books of the New Testament being written. And by the time it was written, a lot of the people were illiterate, so they didn't know how to read it anyways. So that's why they, what they would do is they come to church. And this is part of the reason why their services were typically three or four hours was because they would just stay, sit, they would just read the scripture straight through in large portions because no one would ever be able to read it. And then eventually the scriptures got translated into Latin. This was because it was the common language at the time, but eventually it wasn't the common language. And you get to the time of Luther, and most people did not know how to read Latin, and so he translates it into German. And fortunately, the printing press existed, which, by the way, is another reason why prior to Luther, access to the Bible was really slim. If you wanted to copy the Bible, guess how you had to do it? You had to write it by hand. They did not have printers or copiers. They had to copy everything by hand. But you, you want, if you want to read your Bible, you could pick up countless. You could go to Walmart. You could go to Target. You could go to Barnes & Noble. You could go into a multitude of places, and you will be able to find a Bible if you don't own one. If you go to a hospital, there's a good chance that the Gideons have been there, and there will be a Bible somewhere in the, ho in the hospital room. There's even hotels that have Bibles in them. You could, and if that doesn't work, you have something that no generation could even dream of. You have these little electronic devices called cell phones that you can access literally any translation of the Bible you want at a moment. And if you can't, don't want to read it, there, you can listen to Audible and listen to an audio version of the Bible. You have access to the Bible that no one in the history of the world would ever imagine. And yet, most Christians very rarely open it. It's rare that Christians do indeed meditate upon the law of God, the instruction of the Lord, even though you are the blessed man or woman. You are blessed as a child of God. You were blessed by being baptized in the name of the Trinity. In, uh, you received your clothed in Christ. And so as a blessed child of God, as a blessed man or woman, you are expected to meditate upon the law of God as in reaction as to who you are. All Christians... A couple of years ago, we had a, at the pastor's conference, we had a speaker. The speaker was a part of the ambassadors of reconciliation. His job was to work with churches that had conflict. And the thing he found almost always was the churches with the most conflict had the lowest involvement in Bible study. It was almost 100%. 
If there, is, there are people not in Bible study regularly, that church is going to be hurting. It's almost guaranteed. You are to be in God's word. Strengthening, knowing what it means to be a child of God. That's why tomorrow we have vacation Bible school. And so our children will be able to be in God's word every morning to hear those stories. And, on, and for you who are parents, or even if you don't, you're not a parent, whatever, if you want to keep up, on Facebook I've recorded daily scripture meditations completely aligned with the theme of the day for VBS. So what you, your kids will be doing in the morning is meditating upon the instruction of God. And if you were to listen to that daily scripture meditation and they come home, you can meditate upon the word of God with your child at home, at night. That's the whole idea. You as the parents, grandparents, whatever, are in the word with their children. Meditating upon God's word. And above all, why do we meditate upon God's word? Because we are a mission outpost. You are the missionaries. How are they to know unless somebody says the word to them? And I know the common reason why people don't attend a Bible class is, well, I don't know much about the Bible. Well, that's why you go. That's like not going to school because you don't know math. It's like, that's why you go to school, so you know math. Some people are afraid that they will, they'll have to read the Bible, they'll have to do read out loud. If you don't want to read out loud, you don't have to. And it's okay if there are some people in there that are smarter than you. When I was at seminary, I learned that pretty well. I'd go to our class on the Book of Concord, the Lutheran Confessions, and I'd be sitting there with my English copy, and the guy just a couple chairs over would be sitting there with the German and Latin with absolutely no need for the English because he could read the German and Latin like I could read English. So, and no, he, he was from Texas, so he's not a native German. So that's one of those like, can I get a coloring book version of this if this guy's going to be in German and Latin? It's at seminary we learn the, you're surrounded people by people much smarter than you are. And it's okay, because you know what? Those people who are smarter, you learn from them. Meditate upon God's law, because the hope is that as you speak of the gospel, speak of the wondrousness of what Jesus has done for you, the impossible things he has done for you, you would speak it to others and that they would come to faith, that they would believe and that they would join you in that place where your body is not decaying, where you have a heavenly dwelling, where you are not hungry, you are not thirsty, you are not wrinkling up, you ha your hair is where it's supposed to be. We speak it that they may join us in that kingdom which has no end till that day comes. To him be all glory. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. We continue with this next song.